Welcome back to Zion's Redemption Radio Network. Today we're going to be covering Chapter 13 of Mysteries of Creation, Episode 692, starting on pages 122 and going to page 131. The title of the chapter is The Father-Son Relationship. I'll begin with a prayer of dedication, and then we'll get right into the reading. O God, the Eternal Father, we come to Thee in the name of Thy Son, Jesus Christ. We thank Thee, Father, for the redemption and the atonement that Thou thy son has provided that you sent your son to pay for our sins and transgressions we ask thee father to forgive us of our sins and transgressions that we might have thy spirit to be with us more fully that we might we may be directed and led by thy spirit which we will receive as we seek thee and follow thy word We love thee, Father, and we ask for these blessings, and we dedicate this time of study unto thee, and do so in the name of Messiah. Amen. The Father-Son Relationship, Chapter 13 of Mysteries of Creation, Episode 692, pages 122 through 131. God is usually referred to as our Father, but at times the scriptures say that Jesus is the Father. As mentioned in a previous chapter, Jesus does assume the role of a Father in a spiritual sense at the time that we accept him through baptism and take his name upon us. However, he is not actually the Father of our spirits or bodies as he is our elder brother. It is interesting that we never read that God the Father is the Son. An example is the oft-quoted statement of John. Quote, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In this one short sentence, there seems to be a direct contradiction. The word was with God indicates two personages, but the word was God depicts only one. This rendering of scripture in the King James Version could have been an error in translation, for the prophet Joseph Smith made it much clearer in the inspired version of the Bible. He stated, In the beginning was the gospel preached through the Son, and the gospel was the Word, and the Word was with the Son, and the Son was with God, and the Son was of God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made which was made. John chapter 1 verses 1 through 3 of the inspired version or the Joseph Smith translation. Page 123. It is no wonder 
There are so many religions and so many scriptural interpretations among the Christians. Unfortunately, I'm sorry, fortunately, the prophet makes it very clear that there are two distinct personages here. Think and act as one many scriptures testify that Jesus is the Savior and that he stands next to God, such as, And I have a work for thee, Moses, my son, and thou art in the similitude of mine only begotten, and mine only begotten is and shall be the Savior, for he is full of grace and truth. But there is no God beside me, and all things are present with me, for I know them all. Moses chapter 1 verse 6. So in that um, chapter, in that verse, it's actually Jehovah speaking to Moses, and Jehovah is telling Moses that he is in the very, Moses is in the very similitude of his only begotten son, which would be Jesus Christ. Continuing on, and that that's actually the correct understanding. That's that was the understanding uh, before eighteen the 1880s when somehow Jesus became Jehovah in the LDS scripture, even though it contradicts that that chapter and verse, and also it contradicts Ether chapter three. Anyway, continuing on. However. Even LDS scripture presents some confusion. For example, quote, He that will not believe me will not believe the Father who sent me, for behold, I am the Father. Ether chapter 4, verse 12. Hear, O heaven, hear ye, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, and rejoice, ye inhabitants thereof. For the Lord God... And beside him, there is no Savior. Doctrine and Covenants, section 76, verse 1. It is evident that these two beings think and act as one, making it difficult for us to distinguish between them on many occasions. In fact, the efforts of the Father and Son are so closely connected, they, are both, they both operate together. Quote, the Father cannot operate without the Son, neither can the Son officiate and operate without the Father. They cannot divide their kingdom, and one to go to the right and the other to the left, like Abraham and Lot, when they divided their stock. No, they must live together. And we're on page 124, continuing on with the quote, they must be one and labor together, and all their efforts being for the salvation of the human family must be one. If they made a division, they would fall. And that was Brigham Young uh, discussing this topic in Journal of Discourses, volume 13, page 283. And the Journal of Discourses is a record of a conference talks back in the early days of the uh, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Brigham Young was the president of the church back then, and he was explaining these things. Um, real quick, there's a lot of confusion among the Christian world um, and even other... Mm, 
I don't like saying this because it makes people angry, but within the LDS church, I don't accept anyone after Joseph Smith as being the Lord's anointed. And so there's a lot of confusion that comes up. And like the early leaders of the church would have learned from Joseph Smith himself. But as you get further and further away from Joseph Smith, there begins to be changes. And we see that when you take a serious history, a look at the history of the gospel and how it has changed throughout the years. And because of the correlation committee and because the church basically frowns on people reading things that they don't give them, like spoon feed them, a lot of people don't know the changes, even though the documentation that the church has, like the Journal of Discourses or like the um, the Discourses of Brigham Young or the Journals of Wilfred Woodruff, um, they don't realize that the church has changed its doctrine. And they do maybe realize if they've been in the church for a long time, like for over 40, I don't know, five years or 46 years, they'll know that, yeah, there has been some changes. But when you go back, you see that those changes were not right. For instance, and I hate this one, but within the LDS church, the blacks and the priesthood, Brigham Young said that it would be in the the end of the millennium when... Um, when the Canaanites would get the priesthood. And in Zechariah chapter 14, it even says in the millennium, there will be no more Canaanite in the house of the Lord or in the temple. Um, but in 1978, Spencer W. Kimball was president of the church and he opened it up so that any worthy male could receive the priesthood, which included all races, even though Brigham Young stated that that would not happen until the end of the millennium. So, um, and there's a lot more on that topic. I really hate that topic completely. I just want to know who the Canaanites were, um, because it does say in Zechariah in the Bible that in the millennium, there will be no, no more Canaanite in the house of the Lord. That's chapter 14. But the whole reason I bring this up is because the Christians and um, leaders in the LDS church, um, they proclaim to have this knowledge, but they are not prophets, seers, or revelators. And I know that that's a hard thing for people to swallow, but they do not have the evidence of being prophets, seers, and revelators. A prophet prophesies and teaches correct doctrine as he has received it from the Lord. A seer is given dreams and visions so that he can teach the people. And a revelator receives thus saith the Lord revelations so that he can instruct the people. Um, but we don't see that in the church today and we have not seen that for over a hundred years. That and if you take into account Doctrine and Covenants section 124 where Jesus instructs them on what to do and then you realize that they did not do what he instructed them to do and then the evidence for that is that even though Jesus said the Father would come to restore the fullness of the priesthood that never happened neither did 
Jesus come to the temple in Nauvoo, neither did any angel or heavenly messenger. And then all the things that Jesus said would happen if they were disobedient did happen. And all the things that he said would happen if they were obedient did not happen. And then Jesus saying that um, if you don't do these things, you'll be rejected as a church with your dad. I can only accept Joseph Smith as being the Lord's anointed. So we have changes from the time of Joseph Smith beginning in the early church, even in Brigham Young's time. So, but the thing about reading the scriptures without prophets or without becoming a prophet, because remember, God is no respecter of persons. He wants to reveal his truth to all. Sorry, I was interrupted. But um, getting back to what I was talking about, God wants us all to be prophets. In James chapter 1, verse 5, he states that if you, if you, meaning you, not somebody else, if you lack wisdom, it doesn't say to go to some prophet. It says if you lack wisdom, ask God, meaning you ask God. And he will give it to you. How does he give it to you? He gives it to you through inspiration and revelation. Remember when Nephi had the dream of the tree and the great and spacious building? Do you remember when he was following the path, but then he began to follow a religious leader? And he followed the religious leader into the fog and the darkness. And it wasn't until he turned away from following after the flesh... And he called upon God that he found his way back to the iron rod and, and eventually to the tree uh, to the, the tree with all the beautiful, delicious fruit on it. Like God wants us to have a personal relationship with him. We should hear those who proclaim to be prophets, but we should be getting revelation and confirmation of the Spirit for ourselves so that we are not led astray. Remember, the scripture is replete with a whole bunch of warnings that basically say, do not trust in your fellow man. Do not trust in the flesh. And even it says in Isaiah that the priest and the prophet are out of the way, that they are drunk on strong wine. Like, we can't just follow, and in Jeremiah it talks about that as well. We can't just follow a prophet and think that we are being taught correct doctrine. Now, I know that Wilfred Woodruff, during the, the time of the 1890s with the Manifesto, uh, getting rid of polygamy, getting rid of the Council of Fifty, getting rid of United Orders, getting rid of baptisms, um, like uh, multi, like oh I can't remember rebaptism, like there's a bunch of stuff that they got rid of between 1890 and 1825 ish, and things that they changed, well, that directly contradict the early leaders of the church. Now the church in uh, in the 1890s with Wilfred Woodruff he said that he could not lead anyone astray. That it was not in his prerogative or not in, like, he wasn't able to lead the church astray. And he was doing that so that people would follow the new edicts 
they were following the new edicts that were given even though they contradicted the early leaders of the church. Now, Brigham Young taught uh, many things that that would contradict what Wilfred Woodruff said. So basically, Wilfred Woodruff said that the president of the church couldn't lead the church astray. But Brigham Young taught many things that the church disavows today. And he was president of the church from the 1840s all the way up until his death on June, no, August 29th, 1877. So now we'll throw Brigham Young out, but we'll say, oh, the new leaders can't lead you astray. Well, you would not be led astray if you would get revelation for yourself and stop relying on other people to get you the revelation and go to God. And these Christians who have all these doctrines, they wouldn't be full of false doctrine and they would be a one in the unity of the faith as it talks about in, in Ephesians chapter 4 if they had prophets among them, but they don't believe in prophets. But I'm telling you, we should all be prophets, every single one of us. Continuing on with the reading, the father-son relationship was a key to the identity of Jesus being the Christ. Even when he was a mortal, the proper identity of the son was not known except to a few of his disciples, and that knowledge came to them by revelation. So remember when Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, uh, Flesh and blood hath not given the Son to thee, but my Father which is heaven, which is in heaven. And upon this rock will this church be built? What's, what rock is he? He's not talking about Peter. Peter received revelation that Jesus was the Son of God. It was upon the rock of revelation that the church would be built. Continuing on, the Christians of today accredit Jesus to be literally the Father and the Son in one person. But Jesus did not assume to be the to be literally the Father, for he said, If ye loved me, ye would rejoice, because I said I go unto the Father. For my father is greater than I. John chapter 14, verse 24. And it doesn't say this in the book, but it's one that I've used to help a lot of Trinitarians come out of that that false doctrine and that delusion. Remember, Second Thess- uh, Thessalonians chapter 2 states, All they who receive the li- or believe the lie receive strong delusion that they all might be damned because they don't love the truth. That's a principle. If we believe false doctrine, we are deluded and we are given over to strong delusion because we do not love God enough to go to him to find out what the truth is. But the scripture that I was talking about where I've helped a lot of Trinitarians come out of that uh, that lie is when Jesus was on the cross, he told the thief, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Three days later, when he appeared to Mary at the garden tomb, he said, Hold me not, for I have not yet ascended to heaven. But go unto my brethren, and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father, and to your Father, and unto my God, and unto your God. 
Well, three days later, Jesus had uh, told the thief, "Today you'll be with me in paradise." But three days after that, they had not—he had not yet been to where the Father is at. Now, if he was the Father, which he is in a sense, but there's a Father above him. If he was the Father, he, there's no way he could not be where he's at. That's like saying, "Well, I am the Father and the Son." and I'm going to die, but I still have to go see my father, even though I'm the father and the son. Well, I have a father, but I am also a father, and I am also a son. That doesn't make me the father of my father. And in Revelations chapter 1, it says that Jesus Christ hath made us kings and priests unto God and his father clearly showing that there are more than one. This Trinity notion, three in one, is a lie. And those who believe it receive strong delusion. And those who invented it were the council, all met in the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD. None of them proclaimed to be prophets, seers, or revelators, but somehow we hold them with high regard as to teaching correct doctrine. But the scriptures, it, Paul says that there are wolves even now among you. Meaning at the time of Paul in the, uh, in the first century of the, uh, of, of the years, uh, the, you know, the first century, <laughs> um, there are already wolves in sheep's clothing changing the doctrine within the church. Paul even said, you know, if, if they teach another gospel, don't believe them. But the problem is they did teach another gospel and that gospel was picked up by Rome and Rome taught it. And now we're taught the gospel of Rome, which is set in stone at the Council of Nicaea and the Council of Trent and all these other councils of Rome. And we are not learning the true gospel that Paul was talking about. But then we turn around and we say, well, if it's a different gospel, well, it is a different gospel because the gospel changed because of the wolves in sheep's clothing, which is why there was an apostasy, which is why there had to be a restoration in our day. Revelations chapter 14 states that there would be another angel in the last days it would fly from the midst of heaven having the everlasting gospel to preach to them that dwell on the earth crying with a loud voice saying repent ye repent ye the day of the lord is at hand and for those of you who say that the that there will be no more prophets you forget that there were two prophets prophesied to come in the last days in revelations chapter 11 they're the two witnesses, and they shall prophesy in the streets for three and a half years. They're prophets. Ephesians chapter 4 says that there will be prophets and apostles until we all come in the unity of the faith, and that has not happened yet. So when your teachers teach you that there will be no more prophets or apostles, that clearly contradicts scripture and joseph smith said on april 1st 1844 in the times and seasons if they contradict the bible the book of mormon or the doctrine and covenants you set them down as imposters and they all contradict those scriptures
even the LDS Church, not as much as the Christians do, but they all contradict scriptures. Anyway, continuing on, Jesus confirmed that the Father was separate, a separate being and greater than he. This is an acknowledgement that the Father was the God of Jesus and to us as well. There is only one God that we worship. As James said, thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. James chapter 2, verse 19. Even though there is only one God for this world, as previously mentioned, Jesus sometimes acted as both the Father and the Son. Jesus Christ applies to himself both titles, Son and Father. Indeed, he specifically said to the brother of Jared, Behold, I am Jesus Christ. I am the Father and the Son. Ether chapter 3 verse 14 in the Book of Mormon. See, now remember what we talked about before. When Jesus Christ paid for our sins in the Garden of Gethsemane and sealed that upon the cross, he made a way for us to come back into the presence of the Father. But because of what he did, we become his children through the law of adoption. And he becomes the father of our spirit when we accept him correctly and he accepts us as well. We become his children. Yet there is a father above him as clearly stated in Revelations chapter 1 and other places. Continuing on, Jesus Christ is the son of Elohim both as spiritual and bodily offspring That is to say, Elohim is literally the father of the spirit of Jesus Christ and also of the body in which Jesus Christ performed his mission in the flesh, and which body died on the cross and afterward was taken up by the process of resurrection and is now the immortalized tabernacle of the eternal spirit of the Lord and Savior. And by the way, we're on page 125. No extended explanation of the title Son of God as applied to Jesus Christ seems necessary. And that was written in Articles of Faith by James Talmadge, page 467. I have a little bit of a problem with what he teaches because it's James E. Talmadge that cemented this whole idea that Jesus Christ is Jehovah. Which I've clearly, unequivocally shown that Jesus Christ is not Jehovah. Now, when he says Elohim, he's getting that name wrong. It's not a name, it's a title. Everywhere in Scripture where it says the Lord your God, in the Hebrew, it says Jehovah or the Tetragrammaton, which is pronounced Jehovah according to the vowel markers. Jehovah our Elohim. Jehovah is one of the Elohim. Elohim in in um, in Hebrew means mighty ones, and it is a plural for El, which means God. Jehovah is an Elohim. Elohim is not an individual. Elohim means mighty one or God, or one of the gods, the council of the gods. 
And James Talmadge did not understand this, but James Talmadge, even though he was part of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, he was not a prophet, seer, or revelator, and he taught false doctrine. He taught a lot of good stuff, too, but he cemented this false idea that Jesus Christ and Jehovah are the same person. If you have a problem with that, go back to my Jehovah um, episode where I talked about that in greater detail, which is only a couple of episodes back. It's like chapter 9 or 10 or something like that. Uh, and I, I actually did a three-part video, which is over three hours long, which goes into detail about this, this subject. Anyway, continuing on, Jesus takes part of a father in the sense that the children of God are given to the care of Christ. He saves them, he redeems them, and he cares for them to the utmost, which is not unlike the work of a father or their father in heaven. Jesus made claim on many of, of them as his own. Considering his prayer to the Father just before the crucifixion, quote, I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given unto me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me. For they are thine, and all are mine, and all, I'm sorry, and all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them, and now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee, Holy Father. Keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as I, as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept. And none of them is lost, but, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. John chapter 17, verses 6 through 12. So often Jesus did not act for himself, but for the Father who was God, filling the role as father in his relationship with those whom abided in the covenant, the covenants of the gospel. Page 126. Thus, those who accept the gospel and are heirs of eternal life are, ch are given to the charge of the Son, he then acts in that capacity as Father, or Jehovah, and God. Most of the names and titles given to, to God were also used for Christ. 
Their power, authority, will, character, and even their looks are almost identical. So many of the same titles can be applied to and used by both. Acting in the name of the Father, to the Jews, Jesus said, I am come into my Father's name. I'm sorry, I am come in my Father's name. Chapter, John chapter 5, verse 43. And again, to impress upon them his calling, it was written, quote, And Jesus walked into the temple in Solomon's porch. Then came the Jews round about him and said unto him, How long dost thou make us to doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you will not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. John chapter 10, verses 24 through 25. Jesus acted through the priesthood in the name of the Father, but men used the priesthood in the, in the name of Jesus. In all of the works of the Savior, he was a real representative of the Father acting in his name, speaking his words, performing ordinances, healings, and administration according to the will of the Father. He was acting as the Father would act in the same situations. Thus, the Father placed his name upon the Son, and Jesus Christ spoke and ministered in and through the Father's name. And so far as power, authority, and Godship are concerned, his words and acts were and are those of my of the Father. Articles of Faith, James Talmadge, page 471. And we're on page 127 at 47%. President John Taylor, who, by the way, was the third president of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, had written an explanation of the right of Christ to be God, to be a God or Father over all mankind. The Savior thus becomes master of the situation. The debt is paid, the redemption made, the covenant fulfilled, justice satisfied, the will of God done, and all power is now given unto the hands of the Son of God. The power of the resurrection, the power of the redemption, the power of salvation, the power to enact laws for the carrying out accomplishments of, the, of this design. The plan, the arrangement, the agreement, the covenant was made, entered into, and accepted before the foundation of the world. It was prefigured by sacrifices and was carried out and com, con, uh, consummi, oh, sorry, consummated on the cross, hence being the mediator between God and man. He becomes the right by right the dictator and director on earth and in heaven for the living and for the dead, for the past, the present, and the future, pertaining to man 
as associated with this earth or the heavens. In time or eternity, the captain of our salvation, the apostle and high priest of our profession, the Lord and giver of life. And that's Mediation and Atonement by John Taylor, page 171. I just want to say he is an apostle, Jesus Christ is, but he's not an apostle of himself. He is a direct apostle of the Father, and there are two. They are God the Witness and God the Redeemer, Jesus Christ being God the Redeemer and the Holy Ghost being God the Witness when he comes in the flesh. Anyway, continuing on, the Father needed the Son, the Son needed the Father. Together they made a covenant to save mankind. It is interesting to look at the overall mission of the Son and notice how and when he acts as a Father to mankind. Number one, in the pre-mortal state, Lucifer caused a rebellion and disorganized all mankind. It was the work of Jesus in the pre-existence to reorganize them, assisted by a few faithful followers such as Moses and Abraham and others. Page 128 at 57%. Number two, then after men came to the earth, they became disorganized again. The son with his few faithful followers once more sought to organize mankind according to the gospel plan. Number three, after this life, men will be given one more chance to receive and obey the gospel. Once more, Jesus Christ and a few faithful followers will teach and lead their brothers and sisters. When the last soul is redeemed, the Savior will be crowned and every faithful man who assisted in this work will receive his crown. Everyone in his order, according to his faithfulness and labor for God, becoming a creator in this comforting it is comforting to know that we are all sons of God uh, spiritually and we're born to our father in heaven and knew him just as well as we have known our mortal fathers Brigham Young so testified quote I want to tell you each and every one of you that you are well acquainted with God our Heavenly Father or the great Elohim you are the well you are well acquainted with him for there is not a soul of you but what has lived in his house and directed with him year after year And yet you are seeking to become some or to become acquainted with him when the fact is you have merely forgotten what you did know. And quote Journal of Discourses, volume four, page 216. Every man who earns a crown for exaltation, including Jesus Christ, 
must pass through mortality in order to become a god, and only a god can create a world. Christ, who serves so often in the role of father, has still not yet been able to be a creator because no one but resurrected, glorified beings have that power. So meaning Jesus Christ was not a glorified, resurrected being when this world was created according to what um, Ogden understands, or maybe even what Brigham or anyone else understands. Uh, But when you understand multiple mortal mortal probations, uh, well, it gets a little bit more uh, confusing. But remember what Joseph Smith said, that there are three who preside over this earth. That is God the Creator, who is the Father, God the Redeemer, who is the Son, and God the Witness, who is the third member of the Godhead, or the Holy Ghost. So God the Creator would be the one who actually created this physical earth and named all the plants and animals, and that would be Father Adam. And he did that under the direction of Jehovah our Elohim, and we find that out in the Temple Endowment, when the Elohim, or the Council of the Gods, send Jehovah, and they tell him to take Michael to create an earth, and it is Michael under the direction of Jehovah that does the work of creating. Jehovah is our Elohim. Michael is the creator who became Adam. He is the one that named all of the animals and plants. And then Jesus Christ is our Redeemer. And Jesus Christ still needs to become a a father in the sense that he is taken and he is shown how to create an earth. And he names all of the plants and animals and becomes an Adam. But it was, it was Michael who was placed on this earth, according to Brigham Young, in his conference talk, which is recorded in journal, or volume one, page 50 of the Journal of Discourses, where he stated correctly that Adam was brought here as a resurrected being, and his name was Michael, and he brought one of his wives. Jesus Christ was a spirit when he spoke to Mohandre Moriankumar or the brother of Jared in Ether chapter 3. But Michael came here as an exalted resurrected being with one of his wives, according to Brigham Young, which is a true doctrine. And he partook of the fruit of that garden, and he became a celestial man through a fall. That's the fall. It was, re, it was a requirement and it was necessary for him and his wife Eve to fall so that they could provide mortal children for us to come down and take bodies in this world. Continuing on, Jesus could not become a creator in his pre-mortal state any more than any other man. That's because he was a spirit being at that point. This was confirmed again by Brigham Young, quote, and we're on page 129 at 67%. This is Brigham Young. All the difference between Jesus Christ and any other man that ever lived on the, on the earth 
from the days of Adam and up until now is simply this. The father, after he had once been in the flesh and lived as we live. Obtained his exaltation, attained to thrones, gained the ascendancy over the principalities and powers, and had the knowledge and power to create, to bring forth and organize the elements upon natural principles. This he did after his ascension, or his glory, or his eternity, for and was actually classed with the gods with the beings who create, with those who kept the celestial law while in the flesh and again obtained their bodies. Then he was prepared to commence the work of creation as the scriptures teach. When the time came for his firstborn, the Savior, that he should come into the world and take a tabernacle or a body, the Father came himself and favored that spirit with a tabernacle instead of letting any other man do do it. The Savior was begotten by the Father of his spirit by the same being who is the father of our spirits. And that was and that is all the organic difference there is between Jesus Christ and you and me. And a difference there is between our Father and us consists in that he has gained his exaltation and has obtained eternal lives. Journal of Discourses, Volume 4, pages 217 and 218. So Christ led the way for mankind to follow. He is the first and foremost of all of God's children, the eldest son who, while the father was away, acted in his stead and assumed the role of father to his younger brother and sisters. Let it not be forgotten, however, that he is essentially greater than any and all all others by reason. Number one, sorry, of his seniority as the oldest or firstborn. Number two, of his unique status in the flesh as the offspring of immortal mother and an immortal or resurrected and glorified father. Page 130, uh, 78%. Number three, his selection and foreordination as the one and only Redeemer and Savior of the race, and his ascended sinless, and his transcendent sinlessness. Articles of Faith by Talmadge, page 473. 
So it is natural that Jesus should be the first to obtain his crown and the other, and the other righteous sons and daughters of God after him. Brigham Young explained, When it is wound up, the text is preached in all its division pertaining to the redemption of the world and the final consummation of all things. Then the Savior will be present, will present the work to the Father, saying, Father, I have finished the work thou gavest me to do. And the Son will give it up to the Father, and then will be subject to him, and then will be crowned, and that, and that is the time you and I will be crowned also. And that's Brigham Young, Journal of Discourses, Volume 3, page 96. And remember, this is talking about Adam and Yaman, which is talked about in Daniel chapter 7, where the Ancient of Days sits upon the throne, surrounded by numeral, numerous concourses of angels, It also talks about that in the book of Revelations, where God sits upon his throne. But in Daniel chapter 12, we find out that it is Michael that stands up from the throne in the last days. That's Adam and Andayaman. When all the prophets present, present all the keys back to the Son, and the Son gives them up to the Father, or the Ancient of Days, being Father Michael, which, like I said, is talked about in Daniel chapter 12, who is the Ancient of Days and is our Father. And he is doing these things under the direction of Jehovah, our Elohim. Okay? When Jesus Christ presents all that he has done, the work that he was given to do by the Father, up to the Ancient of Days, the Ancient of Days crowns him and exalts him, and though he has paid for our sins through the atonement, um, Jesus Christ will become our father, and he becomes the new Adam. So it talks about the first and second Adam. Jesus Christ is the second Adam. And when the new earth is created, which is talked about in the book of Revelation, that John sees the new earth, Jesus Christ will become the Adam of that world. That's how he becomes an Adam and becomes the father. And the reason he does this is because though he paid for our sins and we become his spiritually through the law of adoption, he becomes our father in the spirit. In order for him to become our father in the flesh, he has to become an Adam of of a world and we will go on that world as spirit beings, and we will take upon ourselves mortal flesh again, and Jesus Christ will become the father or Adam of that world. And another redeemer will come who is God the witness on this earth, who will become God the redeemer on that earth. Continuing on, the son will give his stewardship to the Father and then receive his inheritance. Jesus cannot be exalted as a God until this act has been performed, nor can he be be a creator until this crown has been given and he receives all glory. 
When Jesus said to the Father, I have glorified thee on earth, I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do, which is John chapter 17, verse 4, it meant that he had finished the work assigned him in three main spheres. Number one, the pre-existence. Number two, mortality. And number three, the spirit world after mortality. Since Christ was with the Father from the beginning of this world, he was able to learn from the Father for millions of years. In many ways, they were more like a perfect set of twins than a father and a son. Yet, in spite of their similarities and unity, Jesus could not have created the earth as clearly explained below. And real quick, let me just, when you begin to understand what the word create means in Hebrew, Hebrews, it does not mean to create out of thin air or to create out of nothing. It means to organize. When the Father organized this earth, he named all of the plants and the animals. He set this earth in its orbit so that we could inhabit it. He made this world or this earth a place that we could inhabit. He is an organizer or creator in that way. Jesus Christ, in the spirit world, he organized the spirits. And in that way, he is also a creator. Okay. We're on page 131 at 88%. Christ, he who was to be born to Miriam or Mary, never having been be, uh, before been mortal. See, we don't. These men do not understand multiple mortal probations because he had been mortal before. And what God showed me is that at the end of the resurrection, we have the ability when a new earth is created to put off the resurrection and become spirit beings again so that we can progress. See, when we're in a resurrected state, whatever we attain unto, we are damned in that resurrected state forever unless we put off the body and go upon a new earth and we gain a higher resurrection through the experiences that we go through in that life. And this is what it is meant by eternal lives. In fact, I covered that in the last book and the book before that. So the last book, we talked about the doctrine of eternal lives and in the book before that, we talked about reincarnation and how that is a false doctrine, but that there is something called eternal lives or multiple mortal probations, which I went into great detail in, in the last book. Anyway, continuing on, having, um, so Jesus Christ for this earth, when he put off his resurrection from the last earth, he could not have created mortal bodies. But the Father, being a Redeemer on an older earth and becoming the, an Adam, he was placed on this new earth with his resurrected body, his exalted resurrected body. He partook of the fruit of this earth with his, his wife, Hava, or Eve, and they were able to descend from a celestial to a terrestrial 
and down to a telestial resurrection or being a mortal body and they were able to have mortal children on this earth and at the end of a thousand years they were translated and taken back up into a terrestrial state and they waited for Jesus Christ to come and he Jesus Christ broke the bands of death and was able on the day of first fruits to bring his father back and his mother back into a full state of celestial exaltation. Now, Adam and Eve, or Michael and Ashura, have received their exaltation, and they will never go back into mortality in that way ever again. They will always retain their exalted resurrection, and they will actually attain into higher states of resurrection, which are beyond exaltation. Continuing on, neither can a pre-mortal, unembodied spirit create an earth upon which his brother spirits can go and take mortal bodies and receive the experiences of mortality. So we remember, we know that Jesus Christ was a spirit being before he came in the flesh. That's what Mohan Ray Mori Ankmer talks about in Ether chapter 3. That's what Jesus Christ himself tells Mohanrui Moriankumar, he is a spirit, and this is what he'll look like when he comes in the flesh. But at that time, Jesus Christ was a spirit, and he was waiting to take himself a mortal body to come and do the same or similar things that he had seen his father do. That's why he says, I do nothing except for what I see the father do. The father did the same thing as being a redeemer on an older earth. And Joseph Smith taught that God the witness would come and take a mortal body and he would come to do the same or similar things that Jesus Christ did. This is the exaltation or the progression of the gods. This is how it works. The official creator of this earth claims to have been the creator of many earths. It is beyond human conception, contrary to all reason and teachings of the scriptures, to hold that Jesus Christ, the son of Mary, before being born in mortality, organized not only many earths, but also an earth for himself to be born on. True in the councils of heaven, presided over by his father, he is doubtless, he doubtless took an active part in bringing his spiritual brothers and sisters in harmony with the father's design to build an earth as their future habitation. He no doubt agreed to the plans in many ways assisted and in many ways assisted in accordance with his capacity to assist in bringing the earth into existence. But the earth was built under the direction of the council of the gods. I'm sorry. He says under the direction of Elohim and Jehovah. And that's not true. The council of the Elohim under the direction of God, the eternal father instructed Jehovah, our Elohim to bring Michael to create this earth and Jehovah, our Elohim showed Michael how to do it, and Michael did it. Michael's the creator. He's the father. Jehovah 
our Elohim was a redeemer on an older earth, and he was also an Adam of an older earth, and he is now an Elohim or an exalted one. The same way that Michael is the Adam of this world, and he was a redeemer for the last earth, and he will become an Elohim and show Jesus how to be an Adam and how to create an earth. Michael is God the Father. He's God the Creator. Jesus is God the Witness. And Jehovah is our Elohim. He's the God that we worship. Not Michael and not Jesus. Jehovah our Elohim is the God that we worship. Under the direct, let's see, the main builders being Michael and his brethren, all of whom had gone through mortality and had received a resurrection and had qualified as gods. And that's according to Joseph Musser, Michael, our father, and our God. And that's on pages 90 and 91. So even though there were numerous things that Jesus could and did do, he still had certain limitations, and creating a physical earth was one of them. Creating planets and suns is a force so great that it is necessary so great that it is necessary to have all power and glory. And we have learned that it was not until after his resurrection that Jesus said, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. After his resurrection and all wickedness on this earth has been overcome, he receives all glory and will be then qualified to create a world or worlds without number to become an Adam, basically. And then he becomes an Elohim after that. At this time, the Son will not just act for or as the Father, but he will be a Father himself and the creator of earths or the creator of an earth. And then when he becomes a, a, an Elohim, he becomes a, he helps to create other earths through his Son. Anyway, so we're on page 132 now, and that's the end of the chapter. The next chapter that we will cover is chapter 14, Gods and Sons of God, which we'll cover next time on Zion's Redemption Radio Network. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Remember to share this with other individuals. Um, and uh, if you could, like this uh, this podcast follow this podcast on Apple iTunes. It's called Zion's Redemption Radio Network. Also, um, if you would, follow us at blogtalkradio.com. The title of the podcast at Blog Talk Radio is called Fundamentally Mormon. And uh, and if if you don't get Apple iTunes, you can get it on other uh, podcast apps which uh, you can find on your Google Play Store, uh, the Android, um, uh, the Android Play Store. So, 
Anyway, I can't remember all... Excuse me, I can't remember all of the places where this goes. Oh, man, I am kind of tired, though. Um, I got up at 6 o'clock this morning uh, to help my wife and my girls get ready for school. Um, but we didn't get to bed till about midnight last night uh, because we went to Lagoon for the weekend. And Lagoon, if you don't know, is an amusement park with roller coasters and carousels and merry-go-rounds and um, all kinds of fun rides that we really enjoy going to with our kids every once in a while. My eight-year-old daughter actually got on a ride that terrified her, but she told me that she would go on it if I would let her play some uh, some games because she wanted to win this big plushie doll. (laughs) And um, she was crying all the way through the line. And she was sitting next to me on the on the thing. And what this thing does is you go up about, I don't know, 15 stories or something like that. And then it it just sits you there and then uh, and then you drop at free fall speeds um, all the way down to about 30 feet from hitting the ground. And then it bounces you like up and down. And it's not it's not really rough. But it's kind of, I think it's the best. I love that ride. But, um, so she was sitting next to me and we had our, our, uh, our bars down over our shoulders and, um, she's crying and like, they still have to come by and push mine in so that they make sure it's locked all the way. So I knew that they were going to come back. Um, so they come around and before they got there, I said, Amberly, if you want, we can get off this ride right now and we could wait for the 10 year old to come back down and then it'll be fine. And she says, no, dad, I really want to play those games. And so if I go on this, you'll let me play those games. Right. And I said, yes. And so she cried <laughs> And I put my arm over her shoulder and she grabbed onto my hand for dear life. And she was crying and I said, this is safe. It's not bad. And she's eight. So she's still my little girl and she's still very childlike and I love her to death. We all do. So, so she actually went on a ride that scared her to death, but, but she did it because she really wanted to play Uh, this game and we got like 30 balls to throw into these old milk container things excuse me and uh, between me and my 10 year old and myself or my my 8 year old we threw those 30 balls and none of us won anything (laughs) so she was very sad about that and she says I tried my best and she was crying because she wasn't able to do it and she really wanted those plushies so I'm going to get on the internet and I'm going to find one and I'm going to buy it and I'm going to give it to her as soon as it gets here so (laughs) but um I had a lot of fun with my friends this weekend with my family um my wife's um aide that works in her room was there some of my wife's friends um from the school district were there um, also, my company um, had a thing yesterday 
and they were there and I saw one of the mechanics and I saw one of the drivers and I talked to him for a little bit but it's kind of funny because the safety the guy over the uh, the safety department his his wife Oh, excuse me. His wife has a bunch of younger girls that are my my daughter's age ages, and they found each other, and then we all followed each other around for a little bit. So it was fun. I really, I had a lot of fun. And my wife's gonna go next weekend, even though I have to work. And um, the last day that I will be able to go to Lagoon will be the last day that I. Uh, the last day that they're open uh, because of how my work schedule is. But so I'll go one more time this year. But my wife said she's going every weekend. So we'll see. And my son, my little four-year-old, he went on a scary ride too. He went on the terror ride, which is a haunted house type of thing. And he was kind of scared, but he really wanted to go for some reason. I don't know why. But I sat in there with him, and he thought it was just great. He was scared, and he screamed, but he laughed afterwards because he thought it was cool. So anyway, um, hopefully I'll be able to get another one or two chapters out. So chapter 14 and possibly chapter 15 this week. And then I'll be going back to work for my four-day-on tour of duty, which I, I get four days on. Uh, eight loads, hopefully, and then uh, it takes me 14 hours. Excuse me, sometimes if I'm unloading or loading, um, I might even go up to four, uh, 15 or 16 hours a day. And then I'll get four days off again. So it's kind of the way things go. But anyway, um, just really uh, want to thank everyone for... Uh, enjoying these programs with me and learning and uh, you don't have to accept me and my claims but I think that the things that we talk about I think I'm able to to show things pretty well and um, if you do believe me that's great but um, if you don't that's fine just I hope you learn from these programs uh, to what was taught and what is true doctrine and as always, I would implore you not to just trust in me or anyone else, but to study these things out for yourself and go to God and find truth from him. So I say these things in the name of Messiah. Amen. And I will be back on with another episode of Fundamentally Mormon and Zion's Redemption Radio Network. Take care, everyone. God bless. And goodbye. Thank